You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. means that your mind is dominated by the flesh. Living in the spirit means your mind is dominated by the spirit. Paul again in Romans 8, 5 says, they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the things of the spirit, the things of the spirit. To be fleshly minded is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace. The mind of the flesh is enmity against God and is not subject to the law of God. So then they are in the flesh cannot please God. How often do you let your worldly desires have control? We are human beings, and by our nature, we desire things to satisfy our flesh. But today, Pastor Dave reminds us that we have a choice. You can live by your flesh, or you can walk by the Spirit. Choose wisely, for one leads to prosperity, and the other leads to destruction. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 13. As he continues his message, walking in the flesh brings no satisfaction. going to the county meet. And if he did well in the county meet, he would advance to the states. Now, he probably could win county. This kid was good, setting records left and right. But he had a temper. He had a temper. And he had heard that one of the kids from the other team had called him a punk. And he got angry. And I saw this anger in him. And I went up to him and said, Man, you got to put this away. You got a job to do. You got a chance to go to the state championship track meet. You got a chance to represent it. Look, you're a senior in high school. Come on, man. Think about this. Okay, okay. But you could see him. He was so hot. And we, we boarded the bus, and I kept on looking back at him. And he sat down there all by himself going. And you could see him just boiling, 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 right? Well, the bus ride was not that far was just down that mountain to the, to the track where the meat was. And we got to the track, and I stood by the bus door as all they were walking out. They're all coming out. Yeah, come on, coach. Yeah, okay, okay. Wait. Don't do anything stupid. I won't, coach. I won't, coach. Don't do anything stupid. I won't, coach. I won't, coach. Don't you know that he walked right over and walked right into there, never checked in to where the, the referee was, went right over the kid, boom. Punched him right in the mouth. No state championship for you, pal. They even threw him off the field. They even made him sit in the bus the entire rest of the meet. I said, what was that all about? I was mad. I said, yeah, I guess so. But see, that's what happens. That's what happens when our anger goes unchecked, when our anger is allowed to fester and our anger continues to move on. That's what's happening to him. Absalom was smart, and he was a cunning little killer, and he waited until Ammon was there, gave him a little bit of vino, gave him a little wine, and we're tipping the glass a little bit. They're making merry. Things are going good. Now, Ammon probably came to the feast a little bit timid. He didn't know what his brother was going to do because he knew his brother wasn't real happy with him. But after a few cups of wine, he was just, he was kicking back. He was kicking back. And at the moment, Absalom gave the order, strike Ammon. He was dead. Now, 
If you look closely at this soap opera that I've been calling it, you can see it's centered around lust. This whole soap opera is centered around lust, and it ends with death. And the results of this fiasco are a dead son, a broken-hearted dad, a depressed and ashamed sister, and a other son who's running for his life. Exactly what the Lord had predicted when the Lord told him that the chastisement would fall upon him. All because of lust. All because of lust. The Apostle Peter, writing in 1 Peter 2.11 says that this lust that is among us is warring in our souls. That lust is warring in our souls. And when we know that all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, we obtain these things from fleshly lusts. And we can only abstain from fleshly lusts if we think of ourselves as not being permanent here, as sojourners and pilgrims, that we recognize that the world's not our home, that our citizenship is really in heaven. When we recognize that, we can go through. And the Apostle Paul picks up on Peter's statement in Galatians 5, verse 16. You know the verse. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. See, you're either living in the Spirit, or you're living in the flesh. You're either living in the Spirit, or you're living in the flesh. One or the other sits on the throne of your life. But living in the flesh means that your mind is dominated by the flesh. Living in the spirit means your mind is dominated by the spirit. Paul, again, in Romans 8, 5 says, They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the things of the spirit, the things of the spirit. To be fleshly minded is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace. The mind of the flesh is enmity against God and is not subject to the law of God. So then they are in the flesh, cannot please God. Can't please God. What are the works of the flesh? Paul writes this horrible list in chapter 5 of Galatians, beginning in 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Then we go back to idolatry. Sorcery, which is addiction, folks. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wraths, selfish ambition, dissension, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Living in the flesh, walking in the flesh, fulfilling the lust of the flesh is a dangerous place to be. That's what Paul just said. It's a dangerous stuff. Those who practice, this means continually. This means living in a continual thing. Look at the list of some of those things. Did you hear some of those things? We talked about sorcery being addictions, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, etc., etc., dissensions, dividing people, causing people to think one way or the other, causing divisions. That's what a dissension is. These are works of the flesh. These are living in the flesh. Paul clearly says that if you practice such thing, you're not going to hurt the kingdom of God. The world is telling you to indulge in your fleshly appetites. Turn the TV on, any channel you look at. They want you to indulge in your fleshly appetites. Don't repress your desire for these things. You want these things. You deserve these things. You should have these things. The world is calling you to live after the flesh, but the message of Jesus is deny yourself. 
Deny yourself. Deny your flesh. Take up your cross and follow him. And this comment is hated by the world. They're hated by the world. The lusts of the flesh are powerful. The call of the world is enticing. It's really enticing, and many give into it, and they live after the flesh. Problem is the spirit. He's often referred to us as our conscience. And when we indulge in the things of the flesh, we should feel guilty. Because that's the Holy Spirit saying, what are you doing? Why did you say that? You need to go and make that right. You need to go and apologize. You need to make things right. What did you do that for? Did you really think that thought? That's what the Spirit is doing. The world hates the guilty conscience, so it tries to tell you that you're not guilty by doing things. You can do whatever you want to do, and that's okay. Do whatever you want to do. That's the world's philosophy. Have you ever heard this? Well, you know, whatever works. That's the world's philosophy. Whatever works. No, it's not. That's not the way it is. You see the destructive power of sin. We look at those lives who have been destroyed by giving into the flesh. Some of us have seen such little power to resist. But yet we sit here and we sing the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. But we don't rely on that power to keep us from living in the flesh. That power is the Holy Spirit. We don't rely on the Holy Spirit to keep us from living in the flesh. And Paul says, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We abstain from fleshly lust when we submit to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But so many of us are afraid of the Holy Spirit. We don't want the Holy Spirit in our lives. Oh, geez, I don't want the Holy Spirit. Well, he's our guide. He's the acting agent of the Godhead on earth today. He is the one that guides us and leads us. He's the one that has come, the comforter, the paracletus, the one who will come alongside. He's the one. We listen to the Holy Spirit when he speaks words of love to us. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? To be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. To be empowered by the Holy Spirit through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. To have your heart and mind set on the things of the Spirit. To be controlled by the Spirit. To be led by the Spirit. And Paul says in verse 18 of Galatians 5, he says, when you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. In his letter to the church of Rome, Paul says, but as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. These fleshly lusts, that war against the soul that Peter said, and he understood that. Peter knew all too well that flesh. It was that fleshly Peter that denied Christ three times. He understood that. He understood what it meant to live in the flesh. He understood that war was going to between them. I'll never deny you, Lord. I'll never deny you. Yeah, well, Peter, I'm sorry to say, but before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. Not I. Yeah, he did. That war against the flesh and the spirit to be a Christian means to fight against these lusts, the, the battle that continues. It's easy to see how flesh can destroy, living after the flesh can destroy the physical body. Talk to an alcoholic who has sclerosis of the liver. Think about that. Talk to a person who has immoral sexual appetite and now has AIDS. Talk to those that catch a sexually transmitted disease. Peter reminds us that the fleshly lusts against our soul. And we escape the physical body when we sin. Some do. But the disease and death of the inner man is the penalty that is given over to the flesh. It's the inner man that counts, folk, not this flesh that's perishing. It's the inner man. It's inner man. And it doesn't matter how old you are. David was 39 when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. 
Paul writes to his beloved son Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22. He says these words, Flee youthful lusts. Flee youthful lusts. These are desires and temptation that are especially prominent when we're in adolescence. Sexual temptation, illicit pleasure of flesh, longing for fame and glory. Paul's command was simple. Flee youthful lust. Don't entertain them. Don't challenge them. Don't try to endure them. Flee them. The idea here is I will just test myself to see if I can handle one of these. No, you can't. No, you can't. If you cannot flee youthful lust, there is a real limit on how much God can use you. A limit on how much useful you'll be to the master. You can't really say yes to God until you say no to the flesh. Greatest example of fleeing lustly things is Joseph. The best example in the entire world. Potiphar's wife really had the hots for Joseph. And she kept on trying to get him alone. And one time she invited him into a room and Potiphar was out of town. And she wanted him to have sex with her. He turned around and bolted, man. He turned around and ran out. He ran so fast that she grabbed his jacket. He ran right out of his jacket. I love that. It's the smartest thing he could ever do. He flee youthful lust. Look at the last of the verse. But, aha, there's a change coming. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee youthful lust. Now, this is to me a perfect example of repentance. Perfect example of repentance. Repentance simply means to change direction. Repentance simply means to change your mind. So if I'm going after youthful lust, and I want to flee youthful lust and turn around and turn towards righteousness, see, I've turned my back now on youthful lust, and now I'm headed this way. That's what repentance looks like. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm choosing the Lord. I'm following after the Lord. One commentator puts it this way. Run from sin and into the arms of saints. In other words, spend time with believers. A lot of times it's how important it is to gather with the believers. The believers are your, are your strength there. You, they're, they're the ones you can count on. And they'll show you where the Lord is. And there's such strength in the numbers when believers get together. Gather with believers. This is true repentance. Turn from your lust and sin and follow righteousness. We need to make a decision today to abstain from these things, these things that we're studying about, these horrible things. They're not fun to study. I don't have a good time studying about rape. I don't have a good time studying about murder. That's not fun. And we have to look at it and apply it to today's world. And these are just fleshly lust. We need to make these decisions. These things war against our soul. I like what Paul says. They're at enmity with one another. They're at enmity. The spirit and the flesh, they're fighting for control of this body. And I'll be the first one to admit it, that, hey, sometimes my flesh wins. I don't want it to. Sometimes it does. And after it does, i got to get on my face and repent. And repent to the Lord and confess my sins to a brother. Neither David nor his sons could make this decision. They couldn't make a decision to flee youthful lust, and they're paying a huge price David's entire family is collapsing before his eyes. He might even lose the kingdom. And now he's lost a son. And he's getting ready to lose another son who's going to run away. And he has a daughter that was raped and scarred for life. 
because they couldn't flee youthful lust. Notice one thing, if you will. Who killed Amon? Who killed Amon? A-M-M-O-N. Who killed him? Hmm? Absalom's servants. Notice that Absalom didn't kill him. He didn't kill him. What does this remind you of? David had the soldiers back off of Uriah and let Uriah die. David didn't touch him, did he? Absalom didn't touch Ammon. I think that's quite cowardly myself. I think it's quite dastardly. Both David and Absalom were responsible for their murders, though. They held the key here. They held the key. Let's look at 30 and 31. And it came to pass that while they were on the way, the news came to David saying, Absalom has killed all the king's sons and not one of them is left. So the king arose, tore his garments and lay on the ground and all his servants stood by their clothes torn. David hears that all his sons have died. And he just tears his clothes, which is just a sign of just total disgust. And he just falls to the ground. Then Jonadab, the son of Shema, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for only Ammon is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord, the king, take the thing to his heart to think that all the king's sons are dead, for only Ammon is dead. Now, This is a good news, bad news sort of thing, and you can't figure out which is which. Don't worry about it. All the kids, all your boys aren't dead, just just Ammon. David is grieved when he hears the death of his eldest son, the crown prince, yet his lack of correction against Ammon contributed to this murder. If he had administered biblical correction found in Exodus 22 and Deuteronomy 22, Absalom would not have to feel like he had to do it himself. Absalom was stepping in the place of the father to do this because his father wouldn't stand up and do it. Let's finish out the chapter. Then Absalom fled, and the young man who was keeping watch lifted his eyes and looked, and there many people were coming on the road on the hillside behind him. And Jonadab said to the king, Look, the king's sons are coming, as your servant said, so it was. And so it was, as soon as he had finished speaking, that the king's son indeed came, and they lifted up their voice and wept. Also the king and all servants wept bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talamai, the son of Amilhud, king of Geshur, and David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Ammon because he was dead. I find this to be quite fascinating. Did you read that? Did you catch that, what it said there? Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Ahimehud, king of Gershur, and David mourned for his son every day. Which son did he mourn for? He mourned for Absalom. He mourned for Absalom. Ammon was dead, but he was mourning for Absalom. I find that to be quite, quite interesting. The problem... I see with revenge, problem living after the flesh, it brings no satisfaction. Problem with revenge that it doesn't solve anything. Usually when someone tries to take out revenge on somebody, it turns around and they get 
a problem. Let's finish up with these two verses in 1 Peter. Let's look at 1 Peter 2 first. In verses 18 through 25. It says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable because of conscience toward God. One endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if you, when you are beaten for your faults, take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, there is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor deceit was found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return, when he suffered, did not threaten, he committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree, that we, having died to those sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. What he's saying here is, our example is always Jesus Christ. When they spat at him, when they did dastardly, horrible things to him, he didn't revile against them. In fact, those that abused him, those that whipped him brutally, those that tortured him, he died for them on the cross. He died for those very sort on the cross. And he becomes our example. He becomes our example. And if we look at one more, the last one we'll do is chapter 4 and verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you are partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be gladdened with exceeding joy. If you are a reproach for the name of Jesus Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit and the glory of God rest on you. On their part he blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory in God in this manner. For this time has come for judgments to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one can scarcely save, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as a faithful creator. Christ is always our example of someone who has endured punishment after punishment after punishment unjustly. He's our example. He's our example. Now, you're going to endure things that you bring on yourselves. You know, I've endured things that I've brought on myself. And what was me? That's it. I have to endure them. But if we endure things for Christ's sake, oh, how wonderful it could be and oh, how blessing there are. The text kind of skeeds me, to tell you the truth. It just really... It really bothers me. But like I said last time we were here, it's right out of today's headlines. It's right out of today's headlines. And I see this all the time, and it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad. You are Our time with you is running short for today's edition of A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through 2 Samuel when you join us next time. But for now, you can listen to this teaching and others from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. We encourage you to download these messages so they are available wherever you are. We know how busy life can get, but there's always time to pause, even if only for a few minutes 
Those short breaks could be filled with the study of Scripture, getting to know God better through His own Word. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're looking for a church family and happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you join us for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel Cape May meets weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Or just visit assurehoperadio.com. If you're not able to join us in person, we are streaming our services on Facebook Live. Just follow the link you'll find at AssureHopeRadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message on Assure Hope. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover God doing great things in your life. Pastor Dave will be back soon for another edition of Assure Hope.